from PRX. Studio 360. Over these last few weeks, the sexual harassment stories that have broken have, for me, come closer and closer to home. I had known Harvey Weinstein, and I'd been interviewed by Mark Halperin, and I'd been on Charlie Rose's show a lot of times. And then they got even closer to WNYC, where Studio 360 started 17 years ago, and where, until we moved to Slate over the summer, our show had been produced. At WNYC, women have come forward to say that three different current and former show hosts had sexually harassed them including John Hockenberry, who had hosted The Takeaway since it launched. That case was especially troubling for we at Studio 360 because we are owned by Public Radio International, which also co-owns The Takeaway. What started this cascade of attention to workplace sexual harassment was the excellent reporting about Weinstein in The New York Times and The New Yorker. After those stories broke in October, we all learned that Weinstein's predatory behavior was apparently an open secret in Hollywood and had been the subject of jokes, like this one on 30 Rock. Oh, please. I'm not afraid of anyone in show business. I turned down intercourse with Harvey Weinstein on no less than three occasions out of five. Or all the Kevin Spacey jokes on the Hulu series Difficult People. His hand shot up faster than Kevin Spacey's fly at the opening of Newsies. So, yeah, there were plenty of inside jokes about sexual harassment on TV, with names named, which got us to wondering about that, how TV writers have addressed sexual harassment over the years. So we asked June Thomas, who writes about TV for Slate and co-hosts the Double X Gabfest podcast, to take a look. Watching television is something that millions of Americans do every night. There's certain shared ideas and shared experiences that we get from watching television. And so when there are conversations or storylines that deal with sexual harassment, it exposes a lot of people to these ideas. So Mad Men, uh, a great, much garlanded show, uh, is set in the 1960s, and it's about the advertising industry. There are two main women in the show, and that's Peggy Olsen, who is a young copywriter, And Joan Holloway, who is what we would now call a personal assistant to one of the Mad Men, because it was a show set in a workplace in the 1960s, that setting was so key and the presentation of sexism in the office was just a very core part of the show. But there was one episode in particular that really dealt head-on with sexual harassment in the workplace. It was from season four, which aired in 2010, though it's set in 1964, in that episode, there's a young man, a freelancer, he's, he's an artist, uh, and he is giving Joan a hard time. He's just very, very disrespectful. He just says outrageous things to her face. What do you do around here besides walking around like you're trying to get raped? Excuse me? I'm not some young girl off the bus. I don't need some madam from a Shanghai whorehouse to show me the ropes. That was Christina Hendricks and Matt Long. He doesn't just let it go. He escalates his behavior and he draws a rude, very pornographic cartoon showing uh, Joan and another senior member of staff. And eventually this leads to Peggy, who works with this guy Joey, firing him. 
And in some ways, she thinks that Joan will be grateful. But later, when they ride the elevator down... I don't know if you heard, but I fired Joey. I did. Good for you. Excuse me? Now everybody in the office will know that you solved my problem and that you must be really important, I guess. What's wrong with you? I defended you. You defended yourself. Fine. The cartoon was disgusting. I'd already handled it. And if I wanted to go further, one dinner with Mr. Kreutzer from Sugarberry Ham and Joy would have been off it and out of my hair. So it's the same result. You want to be a big shot. Well, no matter how powerful we get around here, they can still just draw a cartoon. So all you've done is prove to them that I'm a meaningless secretary and you're another humorless bitch. Have a nice weekend. Good night, Peggy. Elizabeth Moss and Christina Hendricks. If it were on paper, I'm all for Peggy's position. Peggy's right. You've got to do what Peggy says. You've got to intervene. You've got to send a clear message. On the other hand, Joan is also right. Joan is somebody who for many years has been denied opportunities, and she's always had to go by circuitous routes. I've always wondered what the writers of Mad Men were thinking when they set up some of these situations. Are they trying to highlight how much things have changed since the 1960s when the show was set? Are they making a commentary about how little things have changed? That even though we don't smoke or drink in the workplace anymore, some of the things that we associate with these long-ago times still persist. Shows like Mad Men are contemporary writers taking a loop back in time and coming up with a version of that time. You can take a nothing day and suddenly make it all seem worthwhile. But you go and you should know. But then I was very curious to look at Mary Tyler Moore Show, which is also a workplace comedy that was actually made in the 70s. The Mary Tyler Moore Show was set at a TV news program in the Twin Cities, and Mary was a working woman. She was trying to make it on her own, as in the words of the famous opening theme tune. And it was about the challenges that she faced, some in her private life and some at work. And a lot of the humor was in Mary dealing with all these guys in the office. And workplace sexism was definitely one of the things that the show often dealt with. There was one episode in 1973 that really drew my attention. There's a new boss at the station, uh, and it's a woman. And Ted Baxter, the idiot newsreader, comes in all excited. Say, anybody uh, know who the new secretary is? Cute little brunette with a great hiney. <laughs> Don't open any elevator. Here with the official Ted Baxter pincherino, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Ted Knight as Ted Baxter. And you know, they're trying to, like, well, Ted, you won't believe it, but the new boss is a woman. And they're, you know, they manage to kind of make him worried. Not because he's pinched someone's hiney, as he calls it, but hey, it might be the boss and he might be in trouble. Then later on in the episode, there's a resolution to this storyline. 
because Ted, frightened, has been avoiding the new boss. But at some point, he must be introduced to her and is incredibly relieved to learn that the person whose hiney he pinched is not the new boss. <laughs> Thank the Lord. <laughs> I thought you were a cute little brunette with a great hiney. <laughs> You know, when you're watching Mad Men in the 2010s, you're kind of wondering, wow, would that really have been what work was like? And then you see something like the Mary Tyler Moore show, which it's really an artifact of that time. I guess it really does highlight that actually working in an office was uh, like running a sort of sexual obstacle course. contemporary television, it feels like sexual harassment, when it is dealt with on television, tend to be in comedies that are not exactly realistic, in comedies where there are people who are so oblivious or so unbiddable that you think they would not actually have their jobs. And one of the examples is in the long-running, although now finished, sitcom The Office. Uh, In season two, they had an episode called Sexual Harassment. Throughout this episode, Michael Scott, the boss, who's an idiot, tries to avoid sexual harassment training. Some of the others have to go through it. And then one of his friends, somebody who he admires, makes really unpleasant comments about Phyllis. He makes it seem like he thinks that Phyllis is just an unattractive woman who just doesn't matter. And this kind of upsets Michael, so he intervenes. You know what? I love Phyllis. You know what else? I think she is gorgeous. I think she is an incredibly, incredibly attractive person. Come here. Come here, Chris. Come on. Michael, come on. You don't have to worry. I'm not not, not worried. You know what? The only thing I am worried about is getting a boner. That was Steve Carell as Michael and Phyllis Vance as Phyllis. Michael is trying to make Phyllis feel better, but he still says something completely inappropriate and awkward. The joke at the end really depends on us realizing that Michael isn't evil, but also understanding how Phyllis must feel about it. Phyllis is there in the scene in a way that the cute brunette with a nice hiney is not in the scene in the Mary Tyler Moore show. She's there, and the viewer really sees her awkwardness and her pain and feels that in a way more, although we're sympathetic toward Michael, perhaps. It's Phyllis who really demands our true sympathy. One of the people who I think makes the most interesting commentary on sexual harassment on television is Tina Fey, a great comedy writer and actress. In her current show called Great News, which is this absurdist workplace drama, very influenced by the Mary Tyler Moore show, in fact, it's um, set at a kind of small New Jersey, pretty hopeless TV news station. And Tina Fey also acts in the show occasionally. And in a recent storyline, she was playing uh, a very successful, very high-flying female executive who has been pretty grossly sexually harassing people, men and an older woman on the show. 
And at one point, her protégé Katie tells Diana that she's going to be reported. Wait, so you did all that stuff that the guy said you did? I may have made a few off-color comments, but, you know, that's just locker room talk. So I told a couple guys they had nice bulges. Take the compliment. (laughs) That was Brigga Heelan and Tina Fey. We're hearing code words that famous alleged sexual harassers have used. Finally, Diana cops to her behavior a little later in the episode. But she has a reason. Ugh, I can't do this. What is wrong with you people? What? I have been disgusting. I have harassed the men. I have harassed you. I admitted all of it to Katie thinking she would report me, and she didn't. No one did. Wait, you want to be reported to HR? Of course I do. I just want what the men get. Forty million dollars to go away. Roger Ailes got 40 just for whipping it out. Billy Bush got nine just for giggling about boobies. Bill O'Reilly got 25. So obviously there's a lot of absurdity in this, as we heard in some of the other shows. And yet, at the same time, I think viewers, because of the fact that she reminds us about real cases where guys who were found to have abused women were given these vast payoffs. And I think that there's something very clear, even in the midst of the absurdity, that somehow women are always the ones who suffer in these situations. I think the fact that we see so much coverage and so much response in comedy suggests that perhaps we're still figuring out our responses, we're still figuring out how we really deal with this. And maybe these storylines in sitcoms at least allow us a little bit of distance to process all this news in a way that is a little bit less depressing. That story was produced by Zoe Saunders. June Thomas is co-host of the Double X Gap Fest. Thanks for listening, and you can subscribe to Studio 360 at iTunes or Overcast or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts.